everybody, welcome to episode 5 of the In the Left Lane podcast 2019 season. It's A&M week. I'm Nikki Chavanel from hogbeat.com. I'm here with Andrew Hutchinson, our lead team reporter. We are getting ready for the A&M game down in Arlington, Texas, Dallas, as a lot of people call it. Uh, the Razorbacks are the home team this weekend, and they are 2-2 two and two going against the 2-2 two and two A&M Aggies. Uh, the 2-2 two and two that Arkansas holds is a little different than A&M. A&M has lost to the defending national champion Clemson and also to number seven ranked Auburn. So, uh, you know, two teams that haven't quite won a, a statement game yet this season, and Ar- Arkansas is coming off one of the worst losses in program history. Uh, Hutch, just take it away with what you thought of last week. I know that at halftime, I was I was surprised at how cynical you were being. Turns out, you were right on the money. Well, when you've been around this program as long as I have, uh, it just kind of comes naturally. <laughs> uh, you know, growing up in Arkansas, following the team, covering the team, this is now my eighth season. Uh, I'll spare you the time to do the math. My first season was 2012, so am I the issue? I don't know. Uh, but it, it was not good, uh, and I knew from, I mean, it was probably during the second quarter when I started going, oh, my gosh, I need to start getting a list together of the worst losses in school history. Uh, obviously, everyone remembers the Citadel in 1992. Uh, I talk about that like I was alive, but uh, I was I was not alive. However, I've heard plenty of, of stories uh, from my parents, grandparents, other people that have been around the program uh, for a long time. And uh, in, in, my, in my personal opinion, what happened on Saturday was worse than the Citadel. Uh, San Jose State is a horrible, 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 horrible program. Uh, traditionally one of the worst programs in the country. Uh, I have a friend of mine who uh, has family from the San Jose State area, or from the San Jose area, and he was like, you should see the facilities over there. No one cares about football over yeah. there. They barely care about Stanford and Cal, much less San Jose. Uh, San Jose State. So, losing that game, despite you know being at you know Arkansas being in the midst of its worst stretch in program history, is still absolutely inexcusable in my opinion. And then to go from week three where they beat Colorado State, they managed to pull it out of the fourth quarter. People were like, "Thank you, Chad Morris. You you did it. You finally won." Um, and then everyone right now is anti Chad Morris unless you are a very positive person I think I think fans it's not just you know Chad Morris it's it's the fact that they lost this particular game it's it kind of took away people's hope that he is the guy for this program before it was like oh he's gonna get them going in the right direction and now a lot of people are wondering is he ever gonna be able to turn this thing around or should we just cut ties what, have, what did you think of Hunter Juracek, you know, calling for patience from the fans? Well, I mean, what else is he going to say? Yeah. He's, the, he's the AD. Uh, you're, you're never going to get that a, a, a statement like, oh, well, he needs to win X amount of games or we're firing him. Yeah. That's just, that's not how ADs operate. I know fans wish it was, uh, but that's just, that's not going to happen. And I, I I don't foresee a mid-season change, and if you're not going to make a mid-season change, then you might as well go ahead and give them the, the dreaded vote of confidence. 
Uh, that yeah, if you were going to make a midseason change, what would you do? Put Jeff Trailer as the head coach because he's the uh, I mean, associate maybe. head coach? I, I, mean, I don't even know what you would do. It would just be worst-case scenario, so that's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, the, the fans... I guess they've been fine with patience, but that stretch you're talking about, ever since you joined the beat, it's it's just been brutal for Arkansas fans, and uh, I think that's how a lot of this frustration has built up, because it's not just that they lost, it's how they lost and how embarrassing that was. Let's talk about Nick Starkle and his five interceptions. I mean, you, you take those out, and they they easily win that game, right? Yeah, because, I mean, you figure they, they get points on several of those possessions, at least. Uh, the the one that I think really stands out the most to me was the one he threw on the first play of the second quarter uh, because Arkansas had, had just uh, they had just recently scored a touchdown to tie the game 7-7. Uh, San Jose State gets the ball and throws an interception on its second play, and you're thinking, okay, here we go. Arkansas is getting ready to to turn it on, and then what does Arkansas do? They, they turn it right back over to San Jose State. And that kind of got things rolling uh, in favor of the Spartans. So uh, if he just throws two interceptions, three interceptions, I think they have a good chance of, of still winning that game. Granted, it would be closer than people expected. If he doesn't throw any or throws just one, then I think Arkansas wins that game comfortably. Uh, potentially even covers you know that the 20 21 point spread whatever it was that uh, but it happened and it was it was one of the the worst uh, statistically speaking in terms of interceptions performances by a quarterback in school history I mean the last time a, a quarterback threw five in one game was in the 91 Independence Bowl a guy named Wade Hill who had been on the scout team just a few weeks earlier uh, came out and threw five against Georgia uh, there was a, a performance against your beloved SMU Mustangs mm-hmm. uh, back in the 50s, Lamar McCann, uh, and then the record is six by Joe Ferguson, who you know had a nice NFL career. So who knows? Who knows how it goes from here? Uh, but that was definitely, uh, hopefully for Nick Starkle's sake, the, the worst performance of his career. Yeah, uh, I still think he's the guy. I think he's still got a great arm. He just needs to get smarter with the football and stick to you, – you don't just – see a guy and be like, you know what, this is it, I'm going for it. You, you have to do your check downs and, and check out the whole field and see where the safeties are. Um, I think it was the interception that was like right in front of the end zone. That, that one just got me. It's like, you, there's no way you're going to put that ball in there safely. It, there's just no way. And, and as a guy who's been in the SEC for a while, he didn't play much, but he's been here, he should have known that that was a bad ball to throw. Talking about other position groups and other players, a lot of people are scrutinizing the offensive line again. And after we looked at pro football focus grades, it wasn't, you know, too bad. They still did their job, but I think it was on the critical plays where they couldn't do their job that really impacted their grade and just what people thought of them, like the the fourth and two and then the fourth and one. You need more effort on those plays, and I think that would have helped them actually, you know, convert. Yeah, you, you've got to be able to convert fourth and short against a team like San Jose State. The uh, Not being able to get push, I tweeted this during the game, not being able to get push against a bad Mountain West team does not bode well when you've got the SEC ahead of you. You've got the defensive lines of Texas A&M, the defensive lines of, of Auburn, Alabama, LSU, 
if you can't push around San Jose State, you're not going to be able to move the ball in critical spots uh, later in the year. Um, the defense, what did you think of the secondary play? I, the, for the life of me, I could not figure out why on third and long they ran this defense. They've got, they got, <laughs> they're in the nickel. they got five defensive backs out there, and all five cushion. of them <laughs> are giving them about a 15-yard cushion. I was beside myself in the press box going, what in the hell are they doing? I have no idea. That's like what you give on a Hail Mary play. Yes, it, it literally <laughs> looked like they were in prevent defense. And so what did San Jose State do? They dumped it down to one of their fast little dudes and boop, boop, boop. And looky there, he got either got a, on one of them, he got a first down. And on the other one, uh, they they almost got a first down. And, and as someone else said in the press box, they said, you know, it's one thing if Arkansas is a sound tackling team. Yeah. But Arkansas hasn't really proven to be a sound tackling team. Uh, they they just haven't, and so that was that was a little confusing to me uh, why they would would just basically give the San Jose State it basically concede at least eight yards, and that's if you make a, a tackle on your first attempt, you know, an open field tackle. Uh, so that that was very confusing. Uh, the secondary it just the to see what San Jose State did on that final drive, you know, the, the defense I'll give them credit, they played pretty well in the second half. Yeah. Yeah, they did a good job, but, but then that's on, not that, what it mattered. on that last drive, they went. I mean, it's officially a 75-yard drive, but you factor in the penalty at the very beginning of the drive. They had to go 80 yards, and they needed five plays, yeah, and not even a full two minutes to do it. Uh, that was that was concerning. <laughs> so they're sending Chief back up to the box, which I feel like is probably a really good idea. Uh, they brought him down to the field last season. He said he needed to, you know, like interact with his players more and I assume motivate them in some type of way as well. Uh, I don't know. I think you leave that up to the other assistants and and do your thing from the box. What do you think of that? He's always been in the box. I think that that's the thing is that's what he's always done. And I think it was, I want to say it was like the last two games of last year. So it's not like... It helped? Yeah. I mean, they they gave up 50-something points to Mississippi State and 30-something to... Uh, Missouri and it hasn't exactly gone well so far this year. I mean, they they are playing better, I guess, statistically speaking, than last year so far. Uh, but again, I, I I just don't think that it's when when it's mattered the most. The defense hasn't been able to get a stop. We saw it at the Ole Miss game. Uh, you know, they they managed to get the stop against Portland State, but again, that's that's Portland State. Uh, but again, it, it just it was not a, a good uh, showing by the defense when you factor in the fact that they, they played poorly in the first half, they woke up, and then they just ran out of gas and couldn't, couldn't stop a nosebleed on that last drive. Uh, and they were down Monteric Brown, who's obviously a starting corner, and they had to replace him with Ladarius Bishop, who was making his first career start. He got picked on. Greg Brooks Jr. got picked on as defenses or as offenses have been tending to do this season with him. I mean, he's just an experienced player. I think, I think he shows flashes of, of being good one day, but you know they they attack him a lot. Uh, and then what what can we even say about that defensive line that got only nine pressures? Yeah, that's not good. And it wasn't just the defensive line. I think I think five 
or four of the pressures came from linebackers or or the safety coming in on a blitz. So what can we say about that? Why aren't they better? Yeah, and, and only one sack. Uh, that's what also is is concerning because again, this is this we're we're not talking about playing LSU or Alabama or Auburn or Texas or even Ole Miss. This is San Jose State, and you're not able to get pressure against their offensive line. That that is that is very concerning. The quarterback had a very good game. He was uh, getting the ball out quick and everything, but still, you've got to be able to get pressure. Uh, there are a lot of young guys that are playing at that defensive end spot. You know, you, you'd like to get some pressure from those guys. Mateo Soli, uh, Colin Clay. I think those guys are, are going to be good in due time. We didn't see Eric Gregory on Saturday No, either, we haven't right? seen Eric Gregory he's supposed yet. supposed to be ready. So, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what they can do. Uh, they they have done, which what's crazy is that they've actually done a, a good job of getting to the quarterback so far this year in terms of sacks. Uh, compared to last year, if if you look at the the yeah. charts that I just put up on Hogbeat, uh, they are still tracking well ahead. Probably that's probably the category they're tracking most ahead in is is sacks, and that only includes one against San Jose State. Again, San Jose State. <laughs> and we talked to a bunch of the players on Tuesday, including Scooter Harris, and he just said that they were flat and they didn't come. They were they were prepared for what San Jose State was going to do, but they were not prepared to give their full effort and to you know leave it all on the field. And I think that was very apparent based on the first half. They just came out totally flat, let San Jose State take whatever they saw, and it's going to be a huge problem this week against A and M if they can't come out with better effort than that. And I think they will. You know, it's it's always a big game against A and M. Uh, it's in AT and T Stadium. What do you think of their chances against Kellen Mond, who is not only a pretty good passer, but he can also move his legs quite well? Yeah, it's going to be tough. Uh, they did a good job of, of slowing him down last year, at least slowing the offense down last year. I, th- I think A&M score, I think the, I want to say the final score was like 24-17 last year, and of course seven of those points came on the game's opening kickoff. Uh, so the defense held them to 17 points last year. That's, that's pretty good. Uh, so uh, I'm anxious to see what they can do this year. Uh, it seems like Arkansas generally plays well against Texas A&M. Uh, so who knows? Maybe they, they come out and they're able to limit Kellen, uh, what he does on the ground. Uh, that's kind of a little bit of a scary thing because if you think back to the Portland State yeah. game, their, their quarterback that was able to move around a little bit was able to get out of the pocket and make things happen for, for Portland State. Uh, and that was a no-name, no-star recruit. Uh, this is a former five-star recruit that everyone wanted and, and has proven to be pretty effective. So uh, I'm, I'm definitely uh, concerned that, that Kellamond will, will have, a, have a field day against Arkansas's defense. Yeah, and some people were saying, oh, you know, he's not a five-star. Sure, he might not be a five-star, but he's still completing passes the highest rate he has so far in his career. He's completed at 64%. Uh, he's got over a thousand yards already. He's throwing uh, at like seven and a half yards per throw. So and half of his games have been against top ten teams that have loaded defenses in Auburn and Clemson. So that those are those are pretty good stats. Yeah, and and they pass the ball a little bit more than they run it. Uh, their run game has actually not been that successful outside of the games. Um, 
against Texas State and Lamar, Lamar, they weren't able to move the ball very much against Clemson and against Auburn. Um, they have a true freshman at running back in Isaiah Spiller, who is very, very talented. He's 220 pounds, so you know he, he's going to be a force. Um, wh what can Arkansas's defense do to stop this offense? That's a good question. Uh, honestly, Chief, I, as Chief would say, you know, we have to find an answer. I just don't have it we, right we now. We don't have it right now, <laughs> but we will find them. Uh, but so, yeah, I, I'm not sure what, what this defense can do. I mean, I guess the, the big thing that hey, Arkansas must do, and this has killed them in this series for as long as I can remember, is limit the big plays. Yeah. Uh, you can't give up a 50-yard pass on the first play. You can't give up a 75-yard run on the second play. You can't give up a 90-yard touchdown after, you know, getting a stop or whatever, pinning them deep. You know, that's happened in this series. So uh, that's what you cannot do. You, you cannot just give them the explosive points, uh, explosive plays. Make them earn everything. If they go on a 14-play drive where they get five yards a play, that's not ideal, but at least uh, you're, you're making them work for it a little bit, and you're not just, you know, giving up, boom, huge play, uh, points on the board, then all of a sudden your offense goes back out there, can't get anything going, and boom, big play, and then all of a sudden it snowballs on you. Yeah, and we say limit, limit those big plays, but A&M has actually had 32 completions of 15 or more yards, and then nine of 25 or more so that's part of their game they're going to take deep shots just kind of like Arkansas will um, and then moving on to their defense it's a pretty stout, stout defense they've got some returners uh, their defensive line they've got depth on their defensive line it's not just their their group of first guys um, and then they've got some experienced corners as well uh, so I think Three of their defensive backs have picks already this season, so that's pretty good. Nick Starkle just needs to stay away from them as much as he can. Last week's game plan was a little strange, so I'm, I'm pretty excited to see what they can kind of piece together against this very stout A&M defense that's holding teams to like 15 and a half points a game. Yeah, I'm anxious to see what Nick Starkle can do and, and how he bounces back. I mean, this, is, this was our, already going to be a game that he probably it's a lot of pressure on him. Yeah, because you're playing your old team. That, that's what's so crazy about it. You know, same thing can be said about Raheem Boyd. But I think it's probably a little bit of a bigger deal for for, a more Nick. Recent for Nick. Yeah, yeah, it's a little bit more recent. He, you know, Boyd had this experience last year. Uh, but yeah, I I'm anxious to see what he can do. You know, coming back from throwing five interceptions, he still needs to have that gunslinger mentality because that's what really kind of spark the offense in the first place and why he's out there instead of Ben Hicks is that he 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 is a, a vertical threat he is going to take shots he's not just going to check down uh, so I, I'm anxious to see what he can do that that's kind of the thing I'm, I'm most looking forward to even if Arkansas doesn't win this game I want to see a solid performance from Nick Starkle. Do you think it's more of an advantage that he knows the A&M defense very well or that A&M defense knows him very well? I don't really know if there's that much of a a benefit to that I mean because they they did see him last year you know in practice and things like that but uh, it's different you know he's he's different he's got different wide receivers he's gonna have a different playbook uh, things like that so I, I don't know if there's really much of a advantage to gain one way or the other on that this game holds a lot of weight for the Razorbacks 
if they were to win this game, what would that mean just for the fan base? Well, they would probably be really angry that they weren't able to beat, uh, you know, San Jose State and to beat, uh, you know, Portland State better than they did, or and you know, Ole Miss. I mean, it, it, that would be very. It would be, it would bring back memories of 2015, honestly, because that year Arkansas lost to Toledo early in the year, uh, and then ended up winning like six of their last seven games and should have been all seven. Uh, close loss to Mississippi State. Uh, so yeah, I. I think fans would be like, well, what what the heck? Where was this? But also fans would, would be very happy because Texas yeah. A&M is a team they all want to beat because Texas A&M has their number. Uh, I think they've won, what, seven, eight straight in the series? I've lost count. It's been so long. Uh, so it would be a, a game that fans would probably be pretty excited about. And honestly, I don't know if there's ever been a team that has lost – to a team as a 20-point favorite and then beat a team as a 20-point <laughs> underdog. Yeah. Uh, that would be that would be an incredible story, uh, but I, I wouldn't hold your breath waiting on it. This game will also be pretty important for recruiting. Um, Arkansas and A&M offer a ton of the same recruits, especially in the Lone Star State. Um, two guys in particular, Tykees Crawford, who is currently in Arkansas Offensive Line Command. He's a four-star. He will be in attendance. Um, he's been keeping it pretty positive about Arkansas, despite having plenty of conversations with other coaches from other schools, including LSU and A&M. Um, I believe he was at the A&M game last week and then the LSU game the week before that. So winning this game for Arkansas would be huge in terms of you know keeping him committed. And you hear a lot of the same stuff from the commits this cycle that you heard last cycle and it's that you know we're going to be the class that helps turn things around but eventually you know that kind of runs out i don't think you can say that past you know the first couple of classes so you, you you've got to start putting wins on the board um a second guy is garrett hayes who's from athens texas he's a four-star offensive lineman as well uh he is an aggie legacy who is very very heavily considering arkansas and he'll probably be in attendance, but he hasn't decided yet. So that's one to keep an eye out for. If Arkansas could win, maybe that will help them a little bit. I honestly don't know which way he's leaning right now. He's keeping it very close to the chest, although he's decided that he's already picked the school he'll attend. He just isn't telling anyone for a long time. So uh, we'll see how that goes. This game is going to be rough. Arkansas's bowl projections have plummeted. What are they at now? Uh, 0.8% according to ESPN's Football Power Index. Yeah, so Arkansas's, Basically zero. Arkansas's chances of going 2-10 again are much higher than going to a bowl this year. Um, and you can't say we told you so enough, but we did. Uh, we knew this team wasn't going to be... I mean, most of us didn't predict a bowl for this year. You didn't, right? No, I no. predicted 5-7, and seven, which looking at it now is, is was quite optimistic. <laughs> Yeah, are there are there percentages for five and seven? Yeah, let's see here. Uh, Arkansas's odds of going five and seven—they still got a six and a half percent chance. So that it's still possible, uh, just doesn't doesn't really look good. <laughs> so Arkansas really needs to win at least one of these SEC games. Um, if they don't, it you know, firing your coach after two years is the last thing you want to do. Less than ideal. Less than ideal. Um, but Arkansas, you know, they're already having 
record low attendance at games, at home games, so that's not good. It, it could help to maybe bring some more, you know, high-caliber non-conference opponents into the stadium. That would help with attendance. But if you keep losing, the fans aren't going to show up, and a half-empty stadium costs Arkansas millions and millions of dollars. So with Chad Morris's, what is it, 9.8? Yeah, it's, that's what it would be on January 1st. Yeah, he has a $9.8 million buyout. Has that to be goes paid down every day. Yeah, really? Yeah, it goes down every day. It's it's 70% of his remaining contract, uh -huh. so it's prorated. So it's, it's less tomorrow than it is today. Okay. <laughs> but it's still a significant amount of money, but at some point you have to weigh, you know, what it's costing the school and everything. Like, it's not just the school and the athletics program it's the entire town this town gets an influx of money every time there's a home game so you want to keep that going and at some point it's going to cost more to keep him than to cut ties but for now you know I'm, I'm still convinced that Chad Morris is the type of coach you want here I just wonder if his staff is prepared enough to coach at this level I mean his offensive line coach was a GA for him at Clemson. His his offensive coordinator was a GA for, GA for him at Clemson. And while you love the loyalty that he's shown these guys from stop to stop, it's like you don't see this happen at other SEC schools. You have much more prominent offensive and defensive coordinators. Well, Chavis certainly has the resume you look for uh, in a defensive coordinator, considering he's he's been in this conference as a defensive coordinator for like three decades. Uh, but it's just, and I don't know necessarily know if this is all on him because the, the defense was in a very bad place when he took over. Uh, statistically, the worst defense in school history. Uh, and they've had, I think it was like three of the top five worst defenses, statistically speaking, in terms of yards allowed, points allowed, in school history leading up to him taking over. So he wasn't exactly, didn't really have a solid groundwork to work with. Uh, so and he has had one recruiting class. I'm not going to count the 2018 recruiting class in pretty much anything. I mean, there's only a handful of guys that will probably ever participate in any meaningful it was, And way it was here. a small class yeah. anyways, and so and they only had like two or three weeks to get it together. But, yeah, I mean, but this most recent class, they did get a lot of defensive talent, uh, a lot of, you know, four stars, you know, both on the defensive line and in the secondary. They even had one linebacker. That was a four-star. So, I mean, they, they are starting to get the talent, but the talent that's out there, I mean, you talked about Greg Brooks earlier. Yeah, he's shown flashes that show you, like, oh, man, this, this guy might be a player, but he's a true freshman, and he's being asked to play almost every snap as you're starting nickel. He's going to make mistakes. He's going to get burned. That's just part of playing young guys. Ideally, you'd have someone that's older that's good enough to play out there, but Arkansas doesn't have that, and that's been the case at pretty much across the board. And then the wide receiver room, it looked so promising, and now it's hit after hit after hit, and even guys like Trey Knox who can play in games, he's having to miss practice, which inevitably ends up, you know, holding him back a little bit. Yeah, I think for a guy like Trey Knox, it probably doesn't matter as much because he was able to come in as an early enrollee and go through spring ball, and so I think that, you know, He's a guy that you, you just, hey, show up on Saturdays because you're, you're going to be a dude. I mean, he had, I think, 90 yards against Colorado State, 80-something this past week. He is, he's a dude, 
and you need to keep him healthy. You need Traylon Burks back healthy. It sounds like he's going to, you know, after missing the last game with concussion. Uh, you know, other wide receivers have been banged up. You know, you lost Deion Stewart before the season. Fans weren't very torn up about that because they didn't think he was very good, but he's still a fifth-year senior who is your most experienced wide receiver. That That is that is valuable. There is value there. Uh, Jordan Jones went down before the season. He finally returned uh, to practice on Wednesday, you know, granted in a, in a green no-contact jersey, but he was running around, look, making cuts, things like that. So uh, the wide receiver room has taken a lot of hits, similar to the defensive ends, taken a lot of hits, and that's really forced. It's really made Trey Knox and Traylon Burks, you know, be the studs immediately. They couldn't gradually work into it. I really think, I mean, as much, I feel like they've kept them on the field a lot, but I think they need to keep those guys out there all the time. I don't think they're the second string wide receivers really need to play. Is that is that just me? Uh, I think they they need to get a handful of plays off the field because you, you get worn down. You can't sure. just play every single snap. That that's tough. That that's really hard. But I wouldn't I wouldn't have your second string guys out there on a third and eight. You're on the fifty. You know, trying to to go down and get a critical drive in a tie ball game, something like that. That's when you need your guys out there. There's been a few times where I've looked out there and I'm like, what in the world? Why is where is Trey Knox? Yeah. Where is Traylon Burks? Mike Woods even. You're pretty much admitting that you're not going to throw the ball yeah. when you don't have those guys. Or out if there. you're going to throw it, you have a lot smaller chances of it working. Yeah. Than if you had those other guys out there. All right, guys. It we're. We're going to have coverage coming to you from AT&T Stadium this weekend. We're going to have the, the legendary live thread. Hopefully this one is a little bo- bit more tame than, than last week, but probably not. I mean, that's what we love about it anyways. Um, you folks on Twitter, you know, first of all, keep your heads up. Second of all, stop tweeting at recruits. <laughs> if you ever want to see this program turn around, that is not the way to do it. Um, stay in there. We'll be bringing you everything you need to know, including how to watch the game tomorrow morning. So stay locked on Hogbeat, everybody. Have a good one. Life in the fast lane.